This is Novel Marketing, Episode 13. I'm Thomas Umstadt, Jr. I'm James L. Rubart. And this is the show for novelists who hate marketing but still want to become best-selling authors. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the future, timely this time of year. Every year, Author Media pulls a panel of industry experts, authors, agents, editors, and collects them and provides this list for people of New Year's predictions. So we're going to share those predictions with you along with our commentary. So we're not going to agree with all of these predictions. And this is what I love <laughs> so much about publishing predictions or any kind of predictions is that no one knows the future. So you can look at trends, you can look at cycles, but there are anomalies. You know, Who could have guessed in January of last year that two of the top 100 books would be Duck Dynasty books? Of the best-selling <laughs> books of the entire year, it's like Duck Dynasty. Dynasty is like this big, you know, explosive trend that some bookstores have a whole Duck Dynasty section. It's like, I didn't see that coming. I hardly even knew what Duck Dynasty was a year ago. Okay, Thomas, let me ask you, have you seen the show? I've seen a couple of episodes on Netflix. I, and? I, it was funny. I enjoyed it. I'm not a big reality TV show. I want okay. explosions okay. and aliens and the stuff that I watch or dragons. So, All right. I well, did. I, I was in the same boat. I'd never heard of it, never seen it. Until last March, and a friend said, "Oh, you got to watch an episode." And I watched it, and it, 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 sorry, it just did absolutely nothing for me. So, <laughs> so I've watched one show. Maybe I should watch uh, a few more, but I it didn't didn't ring any bells for me. All right. Well, without any further ado, let's get to the uh, publishing predictions. And the first prediction is actually by me. I, I put some predictions on the post, and that is massive audiobook growth. Again, so I predicted this last year that we'd have double-digit growth in audiobooks, and we did. It, it was a great year for audiobooks, and I'm expecting that to happen again this year. And in fact, with ebook growth leveling out, which it did in 2013, which I should give props to Steve Lobby, who totally predicted that in last year's post, um, audiobooks, I think, are going to become the fastest-growing segment. And that growth is going to lead to more attention that's going to lead to even more growth. I, I'm going to say, I'm going to push back on that just a little and say it will grow. It will continue to grow, but it will hit the same uh, plateau that ebooks did. Maybe not 2014, but I'm saying by 2015, it's going to start to start to slide. All right. Well, time will tell who yes, is right indeed. and who is dead. <laughs> a year from now. <clears throat> All right. Uh, prediction two is that we're going to have, and this one's from Steve Lobby, who's a literary agent. He says another surprise bestseller. Uh, there will be at least one surprise breakout Christian book. Uh, you could say this for the secular market. And this is kind of a freebie. I think every year one of the bestsellers is a surprise. What are your thoughts, Jim? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. We, we have one at least you know every two years. And so once a year, I, I think it's a pretty safe prediction that something is going to you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, something like that is going to grab the, the, the attention of the nation. Yeah, or The Shack, or um, another book that's been a surprising breakout bestseller is The Harbinger, which is still yeah, on the Amazon still Top 100. Yeah, 100 weeks. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, just crazy how, how well that book has done. Um, all right, uh, prediction number three is that publishers will start releasing backlist books as audiobooks. Uh, they've already been doing this a little bit. This is a little bit of a wish for me as someone who listens to a lot of audiobooks, but I think publishers are going to want to get in on this growth. As people buy more and more audiobooks, they're going to take their older books and give them to folks at acx.com and convert them to audiobooks because the cost of making audiobooks has plummeted as there are more and more voice actors. In the olden days, there was 20 voice actors you had to choose from, and they were pretty expensive. Now there's thousands of voice actors, and, and that's going to make audiobooks easier to produce. 
Well, and I'll, I'll agree with you on this one <laughs> simply because uh, I have a friend uh, who does this. He does AC, ACX as a voice talent, and he is very up for even doing the 50-50 split. And so authors that get a hold of their backlist, I think more and more authors will discover this because a lot right now don't even know this opportunity is there. It's a no-brainer for an author who has their own backlist, you know, right. access to it because you're getting 50% of something that you would not have been getting before and no money out of your pocket. It's a it's no-brainer. All right, next predictions from Susan May Warren. She says this will be the year of the publisher that publishers and authors are going to start banding together and creating co-op publishing ventures and mini empires inside of Amazon. Yeah, I, I see that coming too. I see uh, even you look at the mastermind group that you and I are part of, Thomas, and where we are banding together as a community to promote, to brainstorm, to figure out business ventures, this sort of thing. I think people will come to the point where the publishers say, hey, maybe we can do this on a, on a grander scale. And I think another, this isn't an official prediction, but I'm going to throw it in here on the podcast. I think this is going to be the year of the hybrid author. I think more and more traditionally published authors are going to do a, a self-published book, either crowdfunding it through a Kickstarter or something like that. And it's not going to mean them abandoning traditionally published, traditional publishing. It's going to mean them supplementing their royalty income with a self-published book. And I think that ties in with this uh, co-op model. So uh, literary agent Rochelle Gardner says that authors will refocus on craft, that 2014 will be the year where authors stop obsessing about platform and start uh, focusing on writing better stories and writing uh, better narratives. I, I want to know what I, – I, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I want to know what Rochelle means by authors. In other words, is this a mid-list author that has been published uh, has four or five books out, or is it somebody that is a writer and aspiring, maybe they've self-published and this kind of thing? Because I still think that most aspiring writers will not focus on the craft because they do not understand how much you have to focus on it to write a compelling and well-crafted book. And it's hard to know how bad of a writer you are like whether or not you're a bad writer because no one wants to tell you this is terrible <laughs> and so it, and i was told you know i was told when i did my first novel i had uh, a mentor who told me how awful it was and so <laughs> as painful as it was at the time i was glad he did and i think there's there are so many opportunities to publish now i believed in the book thomas i believed the writing was great it wasn't it was horrible but i needed somebody to tell me that these days you you can avoid that and get right. published. Or you can find it out very, very slowly. So you're pitching slowly, and getting yes. lots of rejections, and the rejections are always really worded nicely, like you're not the right fit for us. You know, If a book is really well written, it's going to be the right fit for more publishing houses. So you need that honest feedback. So uh, on the converse, Steve Lobby, who's a literary agent, says that publishers will focus on platform. He says we're going to continue to see overly cautious acquisitions in fiction, and platform will be dominant in nonfiction conversations. Yeah, uh, again, it, it, it has to be because how, how do you stand out? You either stand out through brilliant writing that spreads word of mouth and still that's always going to be the primary way to sell your book. But if not, platform can help. 
All right, so now let's get to some industry um, predictions. Uh, the first one's from uh, Nick Harrison, who's the senior editor at Harvest House Publishers. And his prediction is that the sky is not going to fall in 2014, that publishing houses are going to continue to make a lot of money, that authors are going to continue to get discovered, and that if you have a good book and a good idea, you have all the tools uh, to succeed in 2014, and that this is a great year to be a writer. Comment? What do you think of that? <laughs> Well, I, I'm kind of, it's a little bit of refreshing to see these predictions because having done predictions roundups over the last several years, yeah. I will say that in 2011, at the end of 2011, people were terrified about the future and half the predictions I got were all about ebooks and the effect of ebooks on the industry and is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? <clears throat> Are there going to be ebook wars? And what we've seen is that that's really come to an end in that you know, that's been digested into the industry, so to speak. And there are no more big, scary technologies that are new. Everything that we're facing is at least five years old. Audiobooks, actually, Thomas Edison, that was one of his first ideas of how to use the phonograph was to have audiobooks. He's like, we could have readings of these great books. And I'm like, whoa, that's a really old idea. <laughs> so, you know, records are not the best format, obviously, for an audiobook, but uh, it was an interesting idea. So I agree. I, I don't think we're going to see any big uh, shakeups. I don't, you know, people are going to continue buying books and people are going to continue writing books. So take well, a deep I, breath. Deep breath. Yeah. I, see, I just talk a little psychology here. I think people get on the bandwagon. It's, it's, it's exciting to talk about how ebooks are going to destroy traditional publishing and how indie publishing is going to destroy traditional publishing. We have this herd mentality and you read a great compelling article and then somebody else writes an article and it, it snowballs. And, and if you look back, look back on the last 10 years of publishing, yes, there's been significant change, but it hasn't come all at once. It ebbs and flows and it's never as dire as the, the sky is falling people want to make it out to be. Yeah. So along with that second prediction under industry predictions, Amanda Ludke, who's a literary agent, says that it will be the end of the ebook scare. Uh, Industry-wide, she says industry, business is going to pick up, the ebook scare is over, and everyone's going to get back to doing what they do best. So very similar act prediction, actually, to Nick Harrison's uh, prediction that you know it's not the end of the world, and the things that were scary two years ago are not scary anymore. Uh, the next prediction is from Liz Curtis-Higgs, New York Times uh, bestselling author. She's predicting more mergers uh, between some of the big players, Penguin Random House, uh, maybe some of the other uh, big publishers. And I'm actually going to add a prediction to this that we're going to see a lot more acquisitions. I think over the next five to ten years, most of the middle mid-sized publishing houses are going to disappear. They're either going to become big themselves or they're going to become small, or they're going to get bought out by one of the big players. I think the economics of a middle-sized house just don't work like they used to. I think th that was a really easy to make work in the olden days back in the 1990s. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now the smaller houses have access to technology where they can compete with the mid-list houses on size and royalties and advances, and they have less overhead, and so they can actually offer a better deal, a greater focus, <laughs> a more focused brand for readers. And it's going to be really hard for the mid-sized publishers uh, over the next uh, one to five years. I I agree with that. I and it, but that does not mean there's not opportunity for for authors trying to get book contracts because just like if you go back to the early '90s and 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 late '80s, you had this consolidation going on where 
in electronics. In other words, you used to have a mom and pop car stereo store on every corner. And then all of a sudden, the best buys came along. And then same thing with computer stores. And then computer, uh, I can't even remember the name of it, Computer USA? Computer CompUSA. CompUSA, thank you, came along and, and just bought up, essentially, or put out of business all these mid-listers, mid-list stores. Mm -hmm. And then it's been interesting, fascinating to see the evolution of that, yeah. where now they have been taken over. So, so there is always opportunity for the small guy to come in and be the boutique and be the independent and, and publish great authors. The nature of every industry is to have consolidation over time. Do you know how many car companies there were in 1900? Yeah, there was like, like 300. Yeah, three, uh, 300. 300 okay. different car companies. <laughs> right. Like how many car companies are there now? And that was just in the United States. So we went from 300 car companies to two. It's either General Motors or Ford. But what's happened in the most recent years, we have a new car company, Tesla Motors, yes. which is totally yes. changing everything. It's a completely different paradigm, all electric cars. And so w where we are in the publishing industry is in that consolidation phase, but also where the new entrances you know, where the new players have a chance. So it's interesting to watch that. Uh, along those same lines, uh, literary agent Amanda Ludke is predicting that some literary agents will starve out. Uh, so some agents are going to not be able to afford to be agents anymore. They're not getting yeah. enough book deals uh, to pay the bills. And I will say that I have seen this from my own experience. When I first started Author Media, most of the unpublished authors that we talked to did not have literary agents. Now, most of the unpublished authors that we talked to do have literary agents, and they're still unpublished. And so we see that there's kind of multiple tiers in literary agents. There's the ones who have a good reputation and can place books quickly, and then there's the ones trying to get their feet underneath them, and they just... Uh, there's the, there's such a glut of literary agents right now that a lot of them are unable to sell enough books to publishers to cover their own bills. Because remember, they only get 15% of a very small royalty. And so you have to sell a lot of books to make it or a handful of best-selling books to make it as a literary agent. And this is an aside. We say this often, but it's worth saying again. And it's a, it's a cliche because it's true. Uh, and that is a bad agent is worse than no agent at all. So if you do not have an agent and you're wanting to get one, boy, you are interviewing them as much as they are interviewing you. So take the time to pick one with a solid reputation. Uh, and not only a solid reputation, but they can point to these are the books I've sold. Yes. Recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right there. yeah, recently. It's like, hey, I placed this book 20 years ago. It is this best-selling book. So we may do an episode in the future and let us know in the comments if you want us to on how to pick an agent and what to look for in a yeah. literary agent. Um, so some quick pointers, you know, a literary agent should not be asking you for money. Uh, a, real legitimate agents make money Number when one. you make money. And these agents that are starving out are legitimate agents. That's why they're yes. starving out. The other path is for them to sell things to readers. And what will happen is for the agents who survive, the agents who are able to stick it out through this year and the next year, the business will be better for them because there'll be less competition. So you know, when there's three you know, car mechanics in town and there's only business for two, the two that are able to outlast the one who starves out will see their business pick up even if the economy is going down. Yes. So with that, let's get to the controversial predictions, the social media predictions. A little controversial anyway. Mine's not that <laughs> controversial. I'm predicting again because it didn't happen last year. I'm going to predict it again this year because it's got to happen. Goodreads usability improvements. Goodreads is so hard to use. They need to bring in experts and make the system more user-friendly. And now that they're owned by Amazon, there's no reason why they can't do this. Amazon has some of the best usability experts in the industry on their team. 
They just need to loan them to Goodreads for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and that's all it will take to make huge improvements. I mean, the type of tweaks that Amazon's making are really minor and hard to find improvements. Goodreads, it, it's like this old computer from the 1980s. There's a lot of things you can do to make it run better and easier to use. So that's my, my prediction on Goodreads. Well, and it makes sense to put the time into it because Goodreads is like a phenomenal restaurant that serves this amazing food, but nobody knows how to find the door <laughs> to get in. Yeah. So we'll have more uh, episodes on Goodreads. Uh, we have one scheduled for next week. So stay tuned if you want help on Goodreads, because just because it's hard to use doesn't mean that it's not powerful and useful. And it uh, leads us into our next prediction, which is a prediction from you, Jim, that you're predicting that authors are going to flee Facebook. Tell us about that. Well, uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, because it is getting more and more difficult for authors posts to be seen and this is on pages this is not profiles this is on pages and most of you understand the difference between the two but it's getting more and more difficult because Facebook has changed their algorithms so that the posts do not go out so you will pay to boost the post so you pay to boost this post so now you're putting money into it more and more people are seeing it but anyone that does a little bit of research realizes going back to Goodreads your money is or time is better spent on Goodreads because that will convert to sales much easier than a post on Facebook. The other factor that plays into this is if you ask uh, fans or readers of an author, which would you rather be on, an author's profile or their page? 90% of them are going to say, I, I'd rather be on the profile because that's the personal page. That's the personal touch, whereas the page is just this, oh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he or she is, is this untouchable. So I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on uh, there. I'm not a big fan of uh, personal profiles. So you're right that more people will see the post from the profile, but it has several big downsides. One is that it only goes up to 5,000 fans. And so if you really want a following, you got to get bigger numbers than that to, to move book sales. Because remember, only a small percentage are going to convert to customers. So if you're in Facebook, converts at about 1%. So 5,000, 1% of 5,000 is what, 50 sales? That's not, you know, that's dinner with your wife and maybe half of one mortgage payment. It's not enough <laughs> to keep you, you know, fed as an author. Um, the, the other reason, though, is that your personal profile has no ability to go viral. So one of our clients just posted something on his Facebook page last week that was seen by 25 million people on Facebook. And that was just from his page. Other popular pages had taken the image and shared it, not connected to his page, and it was seen by hundreds of thousands of additional people. You don't have the ability to go viral like that. Um, without being on a page because with a personal profile, your friends, when they see your content, they don't have a share button generally unless you've shared it from a page. If it originated from a profile, it can't spread beyond that single ripple. So yes, that first ripple is bigger in general than what you have with the first ripple on a page, but there's no second or third or fourth ripple. And that's the real power of Facebook. You know, my client who had, you know, 25 million people see his post, he only had 30,000 fans. So First off, he couldn't fit 30,000 in a personal page anyway, but 30,000 is not going to give you 20 million or 25 million unless those people are sharing and sharing and sharing and it's rippling out from there. But here's the problem with that. <laughs> and not that I disagree with you. I agree with you on that part. Here's the problem. Thomas, you are, a, you are a guy that is driving a car and you realize that car has six gears, right? And you've just described some of those gears. The majority of the authors who have a page 
only understand that their car has two gears. And so they get more and more and more frustrated. They don't understand the things you've just described. So they just get to a point where they go, I'm just tired of this. I'm tired of this. I'm going to go to Pinterest or I'm going to put my energy into Google Plus or I'm going to put my energy into these things that I understand. And so their lack of knowledge will cause them to flee. Right or wrong, right. I, I see it causing them to flee. And the lack of knowledge can hurt you in a profile as well because you're talking about your day or what you had for dinner and you're like, hey, this is marketing my book because I'm posting to my profile or you're interacting with your friends and reading their posts and like, well, that's not really marketing. That's not a good use of time. So it is true that you don't get as much return uh, for your kind of normal everyday type posts on a page. So especially when you're linking to your website. So links to your website get viewed so much less now than they were a month ago. Now that could change. Facebook is always tweaking with the algorithm. But images still spread really well. Regular text posts spread really well. But I agree that more and more authors are going to be using Goodreads and some of these other more niche social networks, particularly for genres where people in that genre have gathered to a specific uh, social network. So, if you're in, you know, if you're writing technical books, you know, computer how-to books, Google Plus is the place to be because that's where the nerds are hanging out and having <laughs> conversations with each other. If you're writing a recipe book, Pinterest, you know, done. You can. It's recipe books in general are selling better now because people who are into cooking are gathering on pinterest where they weren't didn't really have a place to gather before so we will see people have predi been predicting the demise of facebook for the last eight years <laughs> it hasn't worked <laughs> out so far so this could be the time this could may not um, but using facebook is getting more expensive and there's there's no denying that they are now a publicly traded company yes yes and that uh, creates all kinds of motivations <laughs> All right. Well, we are out of time. We have more predictions than this on the Author Media blog. There's a link to that in the show notes that you can get at novelmarketing slash 13. And in general, anytime you're listening and you want to see the show notes, just go to novelmarketing.com slash the number of the episode. So novelmarketing slash eight is the show notes for episode eight. And you can also find the recording there if you want to share it with a friend. Uh, this episode has been brought to you by the Author's Guide to Pinterest. So we've been talking about these uh, other social networks. At Author Media, we put together a course with Mary DeMuth and Melissa Taylor, the author of Pinterest Savvy, on specifically how to use uh, Pinterest as an author and um, how to use it effectively, how, you know, mistakes to avoid, how to get started. We don't assume that you know anything, and we have a Q&A section at the end where we answer a whole bunch of questions, and you can get the MP3 and uh, the ebook at authormedia.com. Just go to the store. You'll find it right there. Um, if you like novel marketing, if you like the podcast, you can help us out. You can do, there's a number of things you can do. You can recommend us to a friend. Uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes. That's really helpful. You can share this podcast on your social media uh, outlets. And um, you can always leave us a comment. We love getting listener feedback. So thank you for listening to the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you novel ideas on how to sell yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. <laughs>